0: Infinity. 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 So I'm talking with Mr. Robert Miller. He's a general surgeon and a, a transplant specialist and he's one of the group of doctors who wrote the open letter on the 31st of August to the Premier of Victoria, Dan Andrews, questioning the level of lockdown that's happening in Victoria and actually has been extended since that original letter was sent. So Good morning, Bob, and thank you for talking to me. Good morning, Piers. I wanted to ask you first about fast testing because I've read and heard a bit about its use in Europe at airports. If you arrive in certain countries, uh, they'll, they'll give you a test straight away and, and if, you, if you pass the test, then, then off you go, you're, you're free to travel and move around. But are the results of those tests reliable? And, and if so, should we be using them in, in Australia and Victoria?
1: There's a lot of discussion about testing right across the uh, world and at the present time we're using a a test called the PCR, which is a nuclear uh, DNA, RNA test, if you like, Uh, and that's looking for virus particles. And that's uh, relatively complex but made easier by the technologists to do, but it takes time and that generally time has been shortened over the last few months from out to five days down to about one day, but it can be even done quicker but not much less than three hours. So it's a time constraint in terms of getting an answer very quickly, which obviously is important to give a biological pass book to someone if they wanna move from one spot to another. So a limitation of that test is the time that it takes, but it has a fair degree of sensitivity and specificity. So that's why it's been used and it's relatively cost effective. There have been a whole lot of uh, other tests that have been proposed from around the world and you must remember that there have been a lot of tests that have been put forward as being successful or useful but there's been a fair bit of fraudulence going on there and uh, the specificity and sensitivity of a lot of these proposed tests are not very good so they're not terribly helpful in terms of really making the diagnosis. Now, there are some interesting tests coming out, which some people are proposing could be a way of being utilised at airports and whatever else. And there's a company in Australia that's taken on board a test that's been developed in the UK, which uses fairly sophisticated technology. Uh, I don't know how expensive it is to do one of these tests, but it's certainly very quick. And I certainly don't know, or no one really knows the accuracy of that test at the moment, but uh, some people have questioned whether it would be accurate or not. But I think um, we are moving into the brave new world of technology uh, increasingly, and certainly one would feel that some of these new technologies could be the answer for giving us an accurate and uh, quick test.
0: I think they've been using them in Germany for for quite a while now, several months. Uh,
1: Well... Uh, they're using still mainly the PCR in Germany I think but just getting it down to a quicker time some of the other tests have not really got the specificity or sensitivity that you'd like to be accurate with regards to a predictive value of that test mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but the the most sophisticated test that's talked about at the moment which is talked about as a, you know something you could use at airports is using nanocellular microscopy and and artificial intelligence to be able to give us an answer in in something like under a minute right which should be very impressive if we could do that
0: okay and in germany that that the test that they're doing which in the main that the same one that we're doing in australia so they've just got uh, they've got the system down pat so they can get the results in what sort of time frame
1: well my understanding is around 3 hours I'll get a result um, um, so, but whether that—I don't know that that's totally um, instituted across the whole of Germany, but certainly that's where they're headed towards. So the main thrust from anyone doing testing is looking at different types of tests, the, the accuracy of that test, and how quickly you can get the results. And uh, obviously, there's a whole lot of different areas that people are are talking about doing these tests, and one one way is. is having test kits that you could actually do at home like a, a pregnancy test but they're not terribly accurate or terribly sensitive. Uh, so although they're, they're being put forward by commercial companies as being a good way to make a diagnosis, it's not a terribly accurate way to make a diagnosis.
0: Europe's doing a completely different approach now and they have had a, a sort of a, an uptick in you know another wave of cases emerging in France and Spain and, and the UK. The COVID Doctors Network, which you're a, a signatory to that open letter to the Premier of Victoria, you are recommending less restriction for, for, for a bunch of reasons. And in essence, it's because the, the, the side effects of lockdown are so dire that you could argue that they're actually worse than, than COVID disease itself. The depression, the suicide, the failed businesses, the elderly being isolated, families being disconnected from each other what would you recommend from the european experience we do in victoria
1: the interesting fact at the moment that uh, people are starting to discuss is that there's uh a Uh, a second wave in Europe or a resurgence in Europe, whichever way you look at it, depending on the genomics of the virus. Mm. If you look at that situation, there's uh, an increasing number of people once again being diagnosed with uh, COVID. And then if you look at the death rate, compared to the first wave, the death rate is down substantially. So either there's a, a situation of... Reality in terms of looking after the vulnerable, or otherwise uh, containment is better. So there are some things t- to be learnt from the, the the resurgence or the second wave in Europe to to say that if we if we look after the vulnerable very carefully, if we look at you quick tracing, quick contact tracing, quick diagnosis, and then containment, uh, we can do better with the way we live rather than being confined the way we are at the moment. So one would feel that um, one of the big problems that we have is the sort of draconian shutdown that we've had and the effects that it's had not only on decreasing virus, but on side effects for the community in terms of depression depression increased self-harm, job losses, financial woes, all of those issues that we've seen an increase in, let alone decreased uh, diagnosis of other diseases. Yep,
0: yep. I've spoken (coughs) with um, your colleague, Mr Geoffrey Wells, about about (coughs) this at length.
1: I don't think our group's really saying, you know, don't have lockdown down strictly, but really what we've wanted in a lot of ways is to have better information and better community discussion rather than a blanket rule from the government, which has created fear and has continued to create fear. We're... we're, we're wanting, in a sense, a, a better communication of what's happening and, and the realities of what's happening and whether it's actually achievable or not. So, you know, my belief is that, and I think a lot of our group and a lot of other people would believe that getting down to five cases per month is probably not realistic and certainly getting down to no cases uh, uh, or, you know, having a complete eradication program is is... is a bit fallacious, really. And, so, uh, sorry, did you not, say... Not, not achievable. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. uh, the present standards of numbers that they're looking at, we probably only would get down to stage three lockdown and not go lower, really.
0: So that was five cases per day or month?
1: Uh, that's five cases per day. Okay. Yep. But taken over an average of two weeks. So, you know, if you lower it... If you have zero 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 and then have ten cases or fifteen cases, then you can get down to five cases over those three days. For argument's sake. yeah.
0: yeah. So then, really, what you're saying is that is that elimination is a, is an unrealistic goal.
1: Oh, I think I think so, and and I think uh, as we see in uh, in our fellow states, particularly New South Wales, they've been very good at contact tracing and uh, locking down those those hot spots And uh, I think that's where we have to go to rather than a blanket rule across the state, which is making uh, misery for everyone, particularly in areas where there's no disease whatsoever. So... Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, look, you know, at the end of the day, the disease is contagious, the d- disease has a fatality rate. Uh, that's been debated a lot and that question of whether you're dying from the disease or dying with the disease is a, is a relatively important question, but I think at the end of the day, the one thing that's very clear is that those that are exposed to the virus, that is the health workers. That is the elderly in nursing homes or aged care facilities are very much at risk because of the, the extent of the virus or not being able to get away from the virus. And, and we've seen the fatality rates amongst the aged care facilities being very high. Uh, so we need to be very cognizant of that and very careful with how we open up those areas or look after those areas and that's one of the big issues that uh, needs to be addressed really. Mm. It tends to be a disease that does affect the elderly and over over 65 age group particularly those with comorbidities most vehemently. It, it, it is part of the debate that, or the conversation that should be had and it's part of the conversation that we'd like governments to have with us with regards to you know, how we, how we look after the community. And that's the important thing, rather than the blanket fear that this is going to kill everyone that comes in contact with it, which is not the
0: case. No. Often people talk about Sweden and, and what's happened there. How would you assess their, the, the way they've dealt with the disease? Do you see that as a sort of a success story or as a, as a cautionary tale? The
1: way the government's dealt with
0: it? Yeah. and the way Well, I mean, that, that goal of trying to achieve herd immunity...
1: Well, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of Sweden, particularly early on, because they had a high death rate. But really, as it's panned out over time, it's sort of come down to the same levels as everywhere else, really. So, you know, they've they've got the same results in it, in in a sense, in figures, as everyone else has got now. Um, And they haven't locked down and they've looked after the economy. So you, you. you know, in a lot of senses, you can't criticise it. Mm. But some people are saying that if they had a lockdown early on, they might have had a lot less less deaths. So there's there's swings and roundabouts a bit. Um, at the end of the day, Sweden's had a little bit of an upsurge, but their death rate's very low again, like the rest of Europe at the moment. So obviously they're looking after the appropriate people fairly well now.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Mm. Well, I've been talking with uh, Mr Robert Miller. He's a general surgeon in Melbourne and one of the group of 13 uh, who uh, wrote that open letter in late August to the Premier of Victoria urging him to reduce the very strict stage four lockdown that that still applies in this state. Unfortunately for everyone that's been continued and now by the sound of things there are very very strict and perhaps unrealistic settings to reduce from the current level of, of lockdown. Thank you very much Bob for talking today. Pleasure, Pierce. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.